Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. So an amazing thing happened this weekend. The clouds of injustice parted and a ray of light is shining through insofar as predator Jeffrey Epstein was arrested at the airport on returning from a nice vacation in Paris. And the man at the center of why this happened, Mike Cernovich, going to talk to him in just a minute or two about his role in getting the records in a long ago case involving Epstein unsealed to the point where now Epstein is being charged with more serious crimes. So this is a summary from Ann Coulter. It's a very good summary of what happened and what it is that we're going to be talking about just in case you haven't kept up to speed on this. So in 2005, the Palm Beach police were told by the mother of a young girl in West Palm Beach that her daughter had been brought to the Democrat donor's mansion, that's Jeffrey Epstein, and asked to have sex with him for money. This kicked off an intensive one-year undercover investigation. The police sifted through Epstein's garbage and interviewed 17 witnesses, including the houseman, who told of sex toys and dildos left behind after the underage girls left. One of Epstein's procurers, a 20-year-old local woman named Haley Robson, who was paid $200 for every teenage girl she brought to Jeffrey, was cooperating with police, telling them she was like Heidi Fleiss. That was the New York madam. So the police obtained statements from five of Epstein's young victims who said they'd been paid $200 to $300 to engage in various sex acts with him. Police raided Epstein's home, finding explicit photographs of teenage girls, incriminating phone records, and one girl's high school transcript. By the by, they also found a fully outfitted dental chair in his bathroom for reasons that I pray I go to the grave without knowing. So when the police chief brought this mountain of evidence that they'd got from Epstein's house to Palm Beach County's Democratic prosecutor, Barry Krishna, he, Barry Krishna, punted, charging the Democrat child molester with only one count of soliciting prostitution. Yes, the child victims were labeled prostitutes and offered Epstein probation. Palm Beach police chief Michael Reiter exploded in rage. Meanwhile, of course, Epstein claimed to be the victim of an anti-Semitic conspiracy on Palm Beach. Chief Reiter wrote an open letter to Krischer asking the Democrat to remove himself from the case. Then he turned to the Bush administration to seek justice against a Democratic donor slash accused child rapist. CNN and MSNBC did not breathe a word about a Democratic prosecutor refusing to hold a Democratic child rapist accountable. As a result of the Republican-led federal investigation, Epstein was finally required to plead guilty to two state felony charges, accept a sentence of two years in prison, register as a sex offender, and pay restitution to his victims. But even more unusual, the deal included wording that granted immunity to, quote, any potential co-conspirators who were also involved in Epstein's crimes. These accomplices or participants were not identified in the agreement, leaving it open to interpretation whether it possibly referred to other influential people who were having sex with underage girls at Epstein's various homes or on his plane. This is the plane that was nicknamed the Lolita Express, because Lolita, of course, a novel about uh, pedophilia from Vladimir Nabokov. Inasmuch as Epstein was pleading guilty to a state charge, the matter of his confinement was out of the U.S. attorney's hands. It was Democratic county prison officials, not the feds, who placed Epstein in a private wing 
of the county jail and allowed him to spend 12 hours a day, six days a week at his Palm Beach mansion throughout his 13-month, quote, imprisonment. So that's the backstory, and we've talked about this before with Mike Cernovich, but let's help him do his victory lap in getting this guy arrested. All right, so here with Mike Cernovich, and uh, we've just, uh, just, you just listened to an intro to what's going on. I tell you, I was, I was in a play. I was seeing some Shakespeare. I get out, I check my phone, and people got to see me do the Harlem Shuffle of Joy uh, right there in the hotel lobby because it was like, boom, you know, like everyone has their Osama bin Laden moment. We got him. And, you know, not the we, but the you uh, got him two and a half years, $50,000 plus, dogged determination, legal expertise, partnering up with the Miami Herald who came along later. How surprised were you? Did you know this was going down, that he was going to get arrested, Epstein? No, I didn't. I was at the gym, actually. I was uh, a sweaty mess. I got <laughs> back from the gym and was hanging out, and then I got text messages, Epstein, and I go, what the heck, right? And I run out, and I go, okay, I better get, I better go live right now. And I went live, and I, I did do the old my hair, the the gym hair, right? <laughs> I'll style it with the the sweat from my brow. Yeah, for me, it's a quick comb through the eyebrows. But um, uh, so they they took him. He was just coming back from France, right? They took him right at the airport, which is of course where they like to to get people. And it was based on the unsealing of these records. Now, the idea that the court sat on these records that I guess would appear to have criminal content to them for so long is really appalling. Do you know if there was one sentence, one phrase, one piece of information that pushed the police into action? No, what happened is that the prosecutors realized the truth was going to get out there now. They couldn't cover it up. So they waited until the very last hour. If the the court had ruled against me and the Miami Herald, this indictment wouldn't have happened because the cover-up could have continued but there's over 2,000 documents. I haven't seen them yet. Nobody has that are being in the process of being unsealed right now. And with those documents, everybody now has the whole enchilada about what Epstein did. And there was just no credible way. So this was a real, um, as much as it feels like justice, boo, this was not justice. This was federal prosecutors who sat on this information for decades, covering their butts because some guy who wrote a book about gorillas was going to make all of it public. And it's a, it's a, um, uh, you know, life is complicated. It's simultaneously inspirational to know that everybody listening has the potential to make a difference. And it's also a bit demoralizing that it takes people like us to step up because the institutions are so corrupt and faulty that they won't do it if we don't push them to do it. Well, there was a weird thing that happened with regards to the original prosecution. There was this like convoluted relationship between the local police and, and the feds, which it seems to me like it's across state lines. It's actually off the continental U.S., so it seemed to me to be a federal matter. But the local police chief was, was first of all, appalled at what was being talked about. And so then it was punted for um, a conviction and then punted back for sentencing and the, the sweetheart deal and all that. There's a lot of frustration in, in law enforcement, I think, about how this was handled as well. Yeah, especially by the line police, you know, the real the real law enforcement, not the higher up. So what happened is Epstein would fly underage girls to his island and he would bring all kinds of people that are party with him and he would bring girls from Florida. So if you travel, if you take a woman um, underage through interstate commerce, that's a state state crime. 
from wherever it originated from. And it's also a federal crime because he crossed state lines. So Epstein was looking down the double barrel of state and federal prosecution. And if this sounds familiar, um, we have a precedent, Paul Manafort. He was prosecuted for federal crimes relating to mortgage and other things. But he was also prosecuted now for state crimes. And boy, look at how the media went after Manafort. Look at how the Department of Justice went after Manafort. John Cardillo made a great point, which is that Roger Stone, who basically forgot a couple dates, he's a 65-year-old man, and you got a few dates wrong, SWAT team went to his house. Where was the SWAT team for Jeffrey Epstein, right? No SWAT team. Oh, you know, gentleman's agreement. Oh, you're landing in New York, and welcome, but we have to take you into custody. Sorry about this. That really shows how corrupt the system is because this this is not being handled the way Manafort was handled. This is not being handled the way Roger Stone was handled. This is still being uh, coddled, but it doesn't matter. We won in court, and we're going to get the record. So whatever the feds do, they're going to do. But my work is still going on. Well, it is also somewhat predictable, but still fascinating to see. And you you tweeted about this: a law school dean and a lawyer leaves your name out of the case. And uh, the, the fact that the media doesn't like you for a variety of reasons, competition, uh, competence, the excellent documentary hoax, which people should get at hoaxedmovie.com, and just writing you out of the entire story, like, like Emmanuel Goldenstein slash Stalin, uh, unpersoning style, is really remarkable to see in real time. Yeah, it, it was amazing. So... I was the first person, as people who watched our original chats about this know, who filed the lawsuit to get this information. But just a matter of – it's in the court records. This isn't me you know, making this kind of stuff up or exaggerating my role. It's just objective fact. And then the Miami Herald filed their own lawsuit, and when they filed it, they joined mine. They joined it on appeal. And then what happened is Julie Brown did amazing follow-up reporting and original reporting. So Julie Brown, Miami Herald, they get all – you know, accolades to me, I'm not taking anything from them. However, it's just a lie to claim that I was never involved and this was all done by the Miami Herald. No, 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 this was me. I mean, you remember I was like a man screaming in the wilderness alone for a full year, like, hey, I filed this. You know, there's no interest. Where's the New York Times? Where's CNN? Where's the woke patrol? Where's the Daily Beast? Oh, they care so much about women. Where's the Huffington Post? Oh, you're, you care so much about people. You're so woke. Where's Vice? They all just pretend like it didn't happen. They didn't file any kind of amicus brief supporting it. So what happened with my case on appeal, the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press joined my appeal. That's a pretty, like, that's a real thing. And then the Miami Herald started sniffing around. They filed their own lawsuit. They did great work. But... Everybody's saying, oh, great job, Miami Herald. They won in court. No, 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 no. That, that's not that's not the truth. So they're working to write me out of the story, which is predictable. I mean, we knew that we knew that they would try to do this, but it shows how petty they are and how they don't care about the truth. And, and again, I keep circling back to why did I have to do this? The lawsuit, because they wouldn't. Right. Because they wouldn't. If not me, then who? But this is their jobs. They're, they're the ones who should be doing this. Well, it, should, look, it should fall on us. And this, this is something that I really, really want people to understand, which is for that year, I think it was a year or so, Mike, that you, before other people joined in on the lawsuit, you were really exposed. You were really vulnerable. I mean, these are powerful people. Uh, we've got Prince Andrew kicking around. You, you've got a lot of, pe- lot of high power. The Clintons kicking around this whole thing. A lot of high-powered, powerful people who... Um, 
may not be entirely above uh, causing trouble for you. Let's just put it as nicely as humanly possible. Now, once you get joined in by the Miami Herald, it becomes a little bit easier. There's more strength in numbers. But that first year, man, there's got to have been some sleepless nights where you're like, okay, where's this going to go? If nobody joins me and it succeeds, that's kind of like the worst combination. Good for truth. Bad for Mike Cernovich. Uh, that, that had to have been a pretty exciting year before you had some flanks covered. Oh, there were many nights I wondered why I did this, because initially it was supposed to be a $10,000 kind of flat fee lawsuit in it, because to be honest, the law of this is not that complicated. You cannot get an entire case file in a civil suit suit um, sealed. You just can't. It's kind of like you're in it. You know, you did software engineering. And if I tried to just say something like about C++ or whatever, you would just say, no, that that's just not how you just can't. You can't just do that. And the law is in many ways like that, where you just can't file a lawsuit under seal and get everything uh, hidden. Now, you can get redactions, social security numbers, credit card numbers, a paragraph here and there. This was unprecedented. So for me, it was supposed to be like, OK, this is a, you know, not a particularly challenging uh, case, $10,000. And so I just wrote the check you know, didn't think twice about it or whatever. And, and then I'm like, oh man, this is, they were litigating the heck out of it. All, all kinds of third parties are involved. Epstein's involved. Some mysterious John Doe that we could talk about was involved. We don't know about paperwork churning back and forth. I'm like, God, this is going to cost me like a lot of money. And this, you know, got to stress, stress out about that, stress out about if they're going to try to, you know, kill me or frame me or set me up or hire a PR firm because there was a time you remember this there was a PR firm going after me with bots like you couldn't read my notifications there was some kind of a non-authentic or inauthentic behavior going on so there were people paying a lot of money to target me and yeah I thought what what why did I do this you know because you, you don't know that you're going to win you could possibly lose so for me and again that's why all credit to Miami Herald once they came in I was like, all right, well, you can't go after the Miami Herald, you know? So I know that I'm, you know, people still want their revenge. And if injury must be done to a man as should be so severe as vengeance may not be feared. So unless Epstein goes away forever, but I don't know if Prince Andrew or somebody gets implicated, you know, these are ro literal royalty. I mean, these are, we're not talking millionaires or even billionaires. We're talking people with access to trillions of dollars. And yeah, that was stressful. And now after all this, <laughs> The media wants to just pretend I didn't have anything to do with it, and I'm right. just not going to allow it. And unfortunately, the people who follow us, follow me, they, they know the truth, and I thank you for your support and making sure that that gets out to the truth. Well, I, you know, credit where credit is due is, is really, uh, really important, and it is also predictable but fascinating to watch this pivot to now he's like Trump's bestie. Uh, these days, right. this is the pivot, right? That that uh, oh, Trump said something nice about him in 2002, although at the same time, basically Trump was saying, yeah, this guy likes him real young. You know, that, that's kind of like a warning. It's how to warn people about someone, in my view, without right. actually ending up getting sued. And of course, the media is saying, how could you say nice things about this guy when the media had been covering up for this guy for years and years and years? So how was Trump supposed to know when this wasn't even being talked about in the media? Right. And the media only cares because it's a way to go after Trump via visa visa Costa. So they don't again, th this is not this is not pure. That's why I always love when people try to question my motivations. Right. This is not pure on the media's part. They know that they can now 
Oh, what's the Trump angle? Acosta? How did Acosta do this deal or whatever? And by the way, at the time when when they were putting Acosta up for labor secretary, um, I told the Trump people this is a very dumb thing to do. And they did anyway. And moreover, people forget Acosta had a Senate confirmation hearing. Where was the media? There were like two or three articles. Oh, you know, Dianne Feinstein asked him a couple questions about it. And then the Senate voted to confirm him. So now they're trying to, again, we're like, we're living 1984, bro. They're trying to say, I can't believe they approved Acosta. What do you mean you can't believe it? This was all public. Acosta's role was public record. He appeared before the Senate. No Democrats were hitting him hard. The media wasn't hitting him hard. They weren't following him around. They weren't doing, you know, front page of the New York Times. Like you, you're front page of the New York Times because some dork who has daddy issues you know, viewed you as a father figure and then felt betrayed and because of that lashed out in the way that boys who aren't fully integrated as men do, front page New York Times. There was no front page of the New York Times about Acosta and his hearing before the Senate. So the media now they're trying to storm in, look at us. No, they're same thing with the Weinstein thing. They didn't break it. When the story breaks, now they all run in charge. They're just herd animals. And that's what they're doing. They're trying to take credit for other people's work. And it shows, again, we just have a really garbage-tier media where people don't want to actually break stories. Let's talk about two other people, Mike. Mueller, in charge of the FBI during this time, and Preet Bahara, Baharara, sorry, uh, who was U.S. attorney for the Southern District from 2009 to 2017, and um, could have done a whole bunch of stuff, but what, instead went after uh, Dinesh D'Souza? Yeah, so the pre-angle is an important one, and I'll tell you why. Um, the uh, Southern District of New York has charged Jeffrey Epstein for conduct that happened in the early early to mid 2000s. So Preet was head of SDNY until 2017. So that means he could have charged Epstein for that behavior. It isn't like Preet left office and now they're charging Epstein for something in 2018. No, they're charging him for stuff that happened uh, when Preet, Preet had jurisdiction over it, didn't charge it. But he put Dinesh D'Souza in prison because Dinesh, I don't know, gave $25,000 to a friend of his. I think it was it, 20 grand and it may have yeah. gone past some campaign laws or some, like something paid, like that. Yeah, he, they, they claimed to use straw donors. So, oh, my friend's running for office. Hey, five of you friends, write her a check and I'll reimburse you. You know, it's like, OK, technically that's illegal. OK, it's a paperwork violation. Get real, though. That's what you're going after people for. The Southern District of New York. Meanwhile, Jeffrey Epstein got away with everything. Where was Preet? Nowhere. He was nowhere to be found. And now everybody's going, yeah, the SDNY is so great. Where were they? They didn't do anything when Preet was in office. And now Preet, he's a rough crusader for justice and blah, 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 and trying to weaponize this against Trump. But no, 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 bro. You, you, know, you were going after Dinesh over nonsense and could have gone after Epstein and didn't. So there's a lot of people who they just need to have a seat at the little kid's table. And, uh, you know, again, um, the fact that Mueller was in charge of the FBI during all of this time when the FBI would have had some jurisdiction over this uh, and, and let him seem to skate or, or they actually, the, the thing that, that troubles me enormously about this is in order to reduce the charges against Epstein, they had to recast his victims as prostitutes. What an appalling thing to do to a victim of this kind of abuse to say, well, you know, he was soliciting prostitution. He was getting girls for the sake of prostitution and so on. And these were, you know, kids, they were victims, uh, you know, misguided and, and troubled youth who were taken in and, and preyed upon. And then to downgrade them as, as prostitutes in order to get this guy off the hook. Uh, uh, repulsive to me. 
Yeah, and there there's some indication that um, Epstein was an informant for the FBI under Mueller's watch. So we're getting up. Uh, and again, this is where there's two ways of viewing the case, which is the buck stops here. And how can everybody know everything? But the, so here's the way I look at it is if you're going to try to say Acosta is wrong because he signed off on the work of his subordinates, there's an argument for that. The buck stops with you, buddy. But that said, you have to say, well, what did Mueller do then? Because the FBI was investigating and Mueller signed off on the deal, too, in his own way. So why aren't the why aren't the media going up to Mueller? Why aren't you you know, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't they going to preach saying, where were you? So, again, it's just partisanship. And me, I don't see it as partisan. I just think these people are all evil and both sides. And I don't I, I think Acosta I, I don't I think Acosta and them just the establishment. He's got good lawyers. Do we really want to fight it? You know, it's going to be a lengthy trial. We might lose. Uh, you know, I don't know. They're just they're cowards, moral cowards. And that's just the kind of people who end up in office. It isn't it isn't the real fighters. It isn't the real hellraisers. How far do you think this is going to go, Mike? I mean, there's theories floating around uh, which seem to me to have some credibility. I mean, they know that this guy was filming. Right, that they found mm-hmm. uh, cameras. Uh, I think in the entrance to his New York apartment, there are like literally eyeballs hanging to sort of uh, give people a, a, a kind of jokey warning about this stuff. If this guy has lots of footage of powerful people with underage girls, that is quite a tentacle arm set of reaches into the upper echelons of power. And I think that's one of the reasons why this deal was squelched, not just because of Epstein and, and why why his prosecution was so. Uh, underplayed, not just because of him, of course, but because where all of this stuff leads. Yeah, I mean, we all know, we all know where it leads. Um, he had the whole place was wired. People would fly down, and you made the good point on Twitter, which is, you know, nuance. God, people don't want nuance, which is probably what happened is a lot of guys who you know went down there didn't know the girls were underage. They figured they were nineteen or twenty, which. A number of lessons here for men who are aspiring to be powerful, um, myself included. I don't talk to girls by myself um, of any age, 25, 35. And if I were going to be doing shenanigans, I certainly wouldn't talk to somebody I thought was only 20. You know, I would stick to 30 or something like that, right? Because they would fly down there and think, oh, you know, this is a 19-year-old and whatever. He gets them on tape and then he says, oh, she was 16, Right. Now you're live silver. Now he owns you. And nobody knows how Jeff Epstein made his money. Nobody knows. There was a glowing profile of him in New York Magazine years ago, and everybody said, oh, he runs a hedge fund. But if you go to the office, there's actually nobody at his office. And then they go, well, he has a family office. It was very Bernie Madoff-esque. So Bernie Madoff, for example, for those of you who don't know, Bernie Madoff was caught, I believe, 10 years ago running a Ponzi scheme. And before he was caught running a Ponzi scheme – they would – people would always say, well, he doesn't have analysts. There's just infrastructure you have if you run a hedge fund. You have an office. You have you know, 10 or 12 analysts around a desk. If people ever watch the show, billions. That's very much how yeah, a You have these monster computers. You have massive yeah. uh, air conditioning yeah. bills. You have backup, offsite. I mean you name it. Yeah. Yeah, you have server farm. You, just, you have – there are things that are just there. And Madoff didn't have these things, and we found out he's running a Ponzi scheme. Epstein just didn't have those things. There just isn't that infrastructure, that bullpen, and that's because he was almost certainly making his money running a blackmail operation. And he would get – so he would get a lot of people's money or he'd blackmail a whale 
and just then privately invest maybe that billionaire's money as, a, again, a whale that he blackmailed and everything. So there's a lot of people involved. I don't want to falsely accuse anyone, but I will say there was a guy in Ohio, Wexler, was connected to him. Wexler is like a billionaire and kind of reclusive and was was with him during these time frames. Prince Andrew was. These are very, very moneyed people who were with him. And Bill Clinton, we know, traveled with him many, many, many times. I don't think Bill Clinton would be into 13-year-olds, you know, just to be clear. But, yeah, I think Bill probably is caught up in the whole, oh, we thought she was a 21-year-old or something, and it turns out she wasn't. So I, I'm certainly confident that Bill Clinton was down there doing things. We know he traveled there repeatedly, and we all know it was an orgy island. Like, there's no other reason to travel down there. Well, there were also um, reports of, of girls on the actual plane. Right, right. Exactly. So, I mean, Bill Clinton's on there, what, 26 times at least. Right. And right. there are girls on the actual, you don't even have to get to the island. Right, right, exactly. So, and so people trying go. to tie Trump into this uh, is, is really wretched. I, my understanding is Trump took one flight from Florida to New York City, uh, and it wasn't right. even the major plane, it was another plane. And Trump kicked uh, uh, the guy out of Mar-a-Lago, kicked, Ep- uh, kicked Epstein out out of Mar-a-Lago. I've heard a couple of things, you know, that, that, he, uh, that Epstein propositioned some uh, daughter, underage daughter of one of the club members. I've heard it was even harsher or, or more aggressive than that. But yeah, Trump found out about this guy and, and kicked him out and has been saying for some time that, that this is a problem. So, yeah, trying to tie Trump into all of this uh, is just another lazy excuse. Like, you vanish and Trump comes in, which both of which are unjust. Yeah, and that's the game. Um, that's utterly predictable. And now people are trying to drudge up. There was a, a frivolous lawsuit filed against them by, they claimed a 13-year-old who didn't even exist. So the, the smear machines are out. People are smearing me now trying to say that somehow I was secretly friends with Epstein. And people need to be careful about that. Actually, Tom Arnold tweeted something like that out. And I replied to him, um, let's be clear. Are you making this allegation as a statement of fact? And he deleted his tweet. So I, my advice to people would be, I'm, I'm open to criticism. I'm far from perfect. But if you're going to accuse me of crimes, including with Jeffrey Epstein on any kind of thing, you know, you should, you should think twice about that. That's for sure. Well, that's funny, too, because I don't really even understand how these people's brains work, right? So as you point out, I, I said on Twitter, you know, here's how I think it went down. You, know, you get invited to a, quote, fun party on some island and, and you get drunk and it's dark and there are girls around and they're drinking and, and you assume that they're adults and then you wake up and you, you're being blackmailed, right? And people mm-hmm. are somehow thinking that I'm defending this or excusing it. It's like, no, 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 no. I've describing the way that people get entrapped by a, a predator and, and these girls are being used to this ill effect. It's not a justification at all. You know, saying that, <laughs> saying that smoking causes cancer doesn't mean I like the fact that people get lung cancer. It's just causing the cause and effect. But there's this weird thing where people then sort of twist it into, oh, you're justifying this. Like, no, no, I'm just talking causality, how it probably played out. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that's where people try to twist it. A lot of it is just people aren't very intelligent. Their their minds have been scrambled from um, watching TV and they don't read books. Yeah. So they, they can't realize you're, you're not saying that was right. And, and I've, I've run into that so many times myself where I'm saying this is probably just what happened. And morally, there's a difference between an old creepy guy who wants to date a 20-year-old and an old creepy guy who is looking for – there's just a difference, right? And we have an age of consent. We have an understanding of this where, yeah, I mean if you're 60 and she's 20, is that creepy? Yeah. Um, is it immoral? I don't know. Maybe. Is it illegal? No. 
But why? Because a 20-year-old has the capacity to make her own decisions to freely associate with creepy men, if that's her thing. And that's, that's completely fine. But that's quite different from saying 14 or something like that. So people, of course, don't understand it or, oh, or yeah. they just look. Look, everyone who sleeps with an underage girl should, should be charged and should be prosecuted. It's nasty and, and creepy stuff. One of the things I really loved about what you were tweeting yesterday, Mike, was you go straight from gaining the momentum. And I don't think people really understand how you surf these, these waves, right? Because a lot of people, I mean, you know, yeah, you sit back with a stogie on a, on a live stream. And you're like, yeah, good job, me. You put your feet up and so on. But you gained that momentum and that interest to pivot directly into unseal the deals. Let's talk a little bit about how people can, who are learning about you and learning the power of what you do, can pivot to the next even bigger whale, which is these hundreds of sealed sexual harassment settlements in Congress paid for with taxpayer money. Yeah, in life, momentum really is everything. And when you have a big win, you don't rest on your laurels. Like, I wish it were otherwise. Um, <laughs> I wish you could just have a big win and then you can sit around for a year or two and smoke cigars and drink wine and magically not get fat either. You can just <laughs> you know, lay around and eat steaks and drink wine and everything is great, but that's not really how it works. Nature bores a vacuum. So there, we have a big win in Epstein and there are still 250 uh, harassment, sexual harassment settlements uh, funded by members of Congress, and I found one of them, John Conyers, but there's stu- still 250. So rather than just say, oh, yay, me, I'm the greatest, blah, 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 I would say, okay, now you people see I get results, right? You see that I'm a steward of money. You see that if you, you know, if you send money to me, I'm not going to be you know, having extravagant dinners and popping bottles or whatever. We're doing real high-impact kind of work, and let's do more work. Why stop? Right. What evil doesn't suddenly, there isn't a moment where, you know, evil loses and good wins as triumph. You have to do this every day. And now we're going after Congress and we'll see what that turns up. So how can people help out with that process? Yeah, they can, there's a GoFundMe. There's a couple GoFundMes. Um, one is GoFundMe.com forward slash unseal dash the dash deals. GoFundMe unseal the deals with the dash between unseal the deals and you can kick in five bucks, man. You know, so much of this crowdfunding is if everybody just kicks in a little bit or shares a link on social media, then it gets trending, it gets momentum. And yeah, people don't have, you know, I don't expect anybody to go broke, you know, doing this stuff. I'm not, yeah, I always say, I grew up watching, you know, like evangelical Christians and poverty pimping. If you don't fund this, the church is going to go out and, I'm not poverty pimping anyone, but if people have money, kick in. And if they don't, they can still share a link on social media, too. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, for those who haven't had uh, the joint excitement of staring into a camera and asking the world to support what it is that you do. Hey, man, I grew up in England. It's kind of a, a leap across, evil can evil leap across the canyon to get there for me. But you have a responsibility to the good that you can do. And if people hopefully can give up the price of a latte to remove some very evil men from the halls of power, I think that's a, a caffeine well foregone. So let's, I know you've got a boogie because you've got a flight, but give me just a minute or two if you don't mind, because Mike, of course, as I'm sure you know, will put a link to this below as the author of Guerrilla Mindset, uh, which is a, a great book on, on how to improve your life and take control of your way of thinking so you don't feel at the mercy of events and history and people and so on. This had to have been a, a big moment and seeing the blowback, seeing the erasing of you from this entire story. 
people are scared of that. They're scared of having an impact and facing the blowback. So what are the mental, what's the mental ammunition that you use to not just survive from this, but grow and flourish from it? Well, and you got to just keep pushing forward, I, I guess, is so much in life is you're going to get blowback no matter what you do on a micro level. Everything that we deal with is just at scale. But the psychological pressures are always the same, which is for you, you know, you're going to get blowback on the front page of the New York Times. Me, I'm going to get blowback, you know, everywhere you can kind of think of. But psychologically, people, oh, I want to, you know, go on a diet. Oh, why do you want to go on a diet? You don't love me anymore. Oh, you know, what are you doing? Or I'm going to go start a business. Oh, don't you know businesses fail? You know, just do the safe path. Everybody has to deal with these same psychological pressures. They're, they never change. They're, they're all the same. It's just you deal with them in different contexts. So people have to find a mission for themselves, a vision for their life. And they have to just live that life vision, whatever it may be. And you have to choose who you listen to in terms of feedback, right? So you pointed out in your live stream, you said Aristotle said, what does a good man want? A good man wants the approval of other good men, the, the approbation of other good men. So it's really, really important to choose who you allow feedback from. You got to have a big giant filter up there so that very few people's opinions of you get through and affect you. Because you don't want to be completely blind to other people's opinions of you because we all need that kind of feedback. We all need course corrections and we all make mistakes. But if you let that aperture, in a sense, open too wide, it's like staring at the sun through a telescope, just burns out your retina. So you really have to have a solid filter on the feedback that you allow because there's a wall of noise that comes in from the internet anytime you do anything. And you have to judge the people who are judging you and really establish a firm baseline of who's worthy of giving you feedback. Yeah, and they never, the, they never, the, the way to do it, and that's the beauty of me having sold things is they never support you anyway. There's an article I wrote, The High Cost of Listening to Haters. So the people who are saying you're grifting, right? Like, uh, no, objectively, I'm just not. I filed a lawsuit. The money's gone to legal fees. There's no this. But those people would never give you a dollar anyway. They wouldn't say, well, I don't agree with this project. You're asking to be fund. But, you know, this next one, I would, I would definitely support. They're just not going to anywhere. They're toxic, negative people. And you have to learn the difference between criticism and haters. Some people would say, oh, I think you, you know, stepped over the line or, you know, you and I even talk now and then, you know, have I said anything kind of dumb lately or something? <laughs> that's different. You know, that's different than just outright whatever you do, people are going to find a way to, to pounce and attack it. So yeah, people do want to, you know, accept criticism graciously, but recognize that are they really, the difference is a critic, not a critic, because critics want to destroy, but friendly criticism is aligned with your vision. Hey, I want to do this thing. Okay, well, if you do these other things, that's probably not going to get you there, right? So you should probably realign yourself. Hatred is just, why would you want to do that, you loser? What kind of idiot would want to do that? That's hate. And most people, unfortunately, don't have anyone in their lives who can give legitimate critiques. It's just all hate. Don't do it. Be a herd animal. Follow the norm. But Mindset is about rejecting all of that and living your own life on your terms. Yeah, and listen, I mean, I, I, I really do appreciate we had a dinner not too long ago where you gave me advice uh, that was very helpful in what it, it is that I'm doing. And, uh, you know, for those who can get a hold of Mike's advice, it's a, it's a very important, positive treasure to, to have in your life. So if hatred drives that away, it, it's a big loss. All right, so Cernovich.com, Gorilla Mindset. We'll put the links to all of that below. Listen, congratulations. It, it is a massive 
uh, win and the, the resolution and the strength and the expense that you've put yourself through in order to help protect not just the girls and, and, and to help them with, you know, their suffering that has not been recognized and has been downgraded and scorned by society is very painful. Just having someone stand up for the victims is so powerful. It's a warning shot across the bows of other people who might try the same thing. It's a great win, and, and I think you should be enormously proud, and, and I thank you for what you're doing for the world. Cernovich.com, Guerrilla Mindset, thanks a lot so much for your time. My pleasure. Well, thank you so much for enjoying this latest free domain show on philosophy. And I'm going to be frank and ask you for your help, your support, your encouragement, and your resources. Please like, subscribe, and share, and all of that good stuff to get philosophy out into the world. And also, equally importantly, go to freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show, to give me the resources that I need to bring more and better philosophy to an increasingly desperate world. So thank you so much for your support, my friends. freedomain.com forward slash donate.